watching the origin story of Uber in front of our very eyes. <laughs> Hi and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brand Sparks, and here on Cinenation we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. On today's episode, I am joined again by Hunter Barcroft. Hunter, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back, as always. Yeah, it's good. It's good to have you. It's been been a few months getting getting into the swing of things. Has it been a few months? I honestly lose track of time. Like, it's been My, two months. It's been two it's months. Been two, it feels it it's, feels it's, like it's, it feels like this probably. We're getting we're getting more being. consistent. We're getting everyone in in the swing I, of I things. I like being on. I like being yeah. on this much. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it feels like old times. Yeah, it's getting consistent. We're getting good. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I'm happy to have you back here. And for those that are listening who are maybe just joining us or kind of continuing on the month with us. This month, we are talking about 24-hour movies as our kind of genre series. And we've discussed several type versions of this film, the 24-hour movie, a movie that takes place over a 24-hour period of time. Uh, we've talked about kind of the after hours and the one crazy night type movie where it's just one character could be trying to get home or maybe it's a party like in Can't Hardly Wait or it's several characters in American Graffiti where we're just seeing this night in their lives Um and they're sometimes maybe trying to make a decision in their life that's going to kind of uh, uh, be important later on. Then we've briefly talked about kind of this day in the life type movie where you're seeing things like bef- like the Richard Linklater film where it's almost like slice of life or in Before Sunrise or even Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing of kind of these uh, character pieces in a way. Um, and then there are the types of movies that use the 24 hour movie as a way to tell a genre film or a thriller. And this could be a heist film like taking a Pelham one, two, three, or like today's movie, 2004 film collateral. And we've talked about how a lot of these films, if they're a thriller or a genre film, or even just a crazy night or a day in the life, they sometimes can have a ticking clock that is occurring that like something at the end of the day or something at the end of the night is going to have to happen. If it's the dance contest and thank God it's Friday or if it's Ethan Hawke's flight and before sunset, there's always this event or task we're building to within these 24-hour movies. So that's what we've talked about this month. And Collateral, we're going to be talking about that thriller aspect of it and what you can do within a genre film. So, Hunter, you picked this movie today for this month's genre. What made you want to cover Collateral? Um, so, honestly, I... And you know this about me. I go into these periods of time where I will just kind of get into one director's uh, filmography and just kind of dive in. I did that with Ed Zwick, uh, and mm-hmm. I did that again with Michael Mann to a to to a degree. Like I, you know, of the time that I have to watch films, uh, I watched Inside Man just on a whim. Uh, I mm-hmm. honestly, you might have recommended it. Or I can't in, really inside, remember. The Insider, Insider, the Insider. Inside yeah, sorry, not yeah. Inside Man. Oh, oh, sorry, guys, take that back. <laughs> It's okay. We've um, mentioned it. Thomas has mentioned it this month a lot, so it's fine. And then uh, Heat obviously was is I had never seen Heat before, and oh, one of our friends uh, Stephen had told me how amazing Heat was, and I was like, eh, I got nothing better to do. So Heat was really when I dove in, and I was just like, this this is incredible. And like you know, there's a lot of misses. Um, like I feel like after, especially after Collateral, it starts to take a little bit of a downhill turn. But Collateral really is a great movie, and I I had never seen it before. We watched it for the show, um, but man, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it really does hit all the things you just talked about. Mm-hmm. It really does. It uses literally every single thing that you just mentioned to summarize this section of movies. Yeah, we've, we've covered on the show. And yeah, man, I, that's how I found, I literally was just like, 
Michael Mann, baby, let's buckle up and get ready. <laughs> and honestly, like you know, I have no regrets. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, man, man is a, uh, and we'll we'll discuss him more. Michael Mann's been. I think he's he's interesting. And I don't know if it's if it's just because I'm I'm living in L.A. right now, and they just did a recent like retrospective of some of his work. They did, they did actually Collateral's been on, on my mind before I even picked it because they recently did a double feature of Thief and Collateral, and Michael Mann was there doing a Q and A for it, and it like wow. sold out like that. Oh, um, sure, yeah. And so uh, his his films are very much like his movies aren't really made nowadays. It's like it's no. like he he makes action movies with characters is yeah. kind of the thing. And that's, that's very important and collateral. Um, that's very important in heat um, manhunter. There's always this kind of, and what's interesting about his films. And again, we'll talk more about it. Like um, there is a duality to a lot of the movies. Like there's always kind of a two different characters in a way. It's the yin and the yang, the good and the bad. Or but they, they both actually... operate in this level of gray area yes, exactly. where not everything is like, it's very uh, morally ambiguous sometimes. Yes. And it adds this level of realism that I don't feel like uh, modern action films today have at all. And, I agree. You know, I I think that that's really really obvious when you watch yeah. Collateral. It's like it's a character study while also being an action film and a crime yeah. movie. Yeah, I was talking to my buddy uh, Logan before this, and we were talking about how like it's it's when you look at say Vince and Max, Tom Cruise and Jane Fox in this movie, it's like their viewpoint their perspectives are not wrong they just differ like Cruz has some very like nihilistic and cynical things to think about the world but he's mm-hmm. not wrong about it no <laughs> no Fox, he's just he he's just yeah. lost touch with um his sense of uh i mean any kind of remorse humanity I mean, he, it's yeah it's yeah, humanity, it's, it's humanity. Yeah. i mean like yeah. that's and ultimately what starts to become the you know the crack in his armor is the fact that that comes back for that split second. Yeah. And he like starts to second guess himself. And that's like just seeing that and how they chose to kind of dive into that is like, it's just fascinating well, to watch. Again, it's like, and we'll go more into that when we talk about scenes, but like, it's like he talks, or Fox, Jane, or Max talks about that. It's like, you can't read people. You just don't know people is the thing. And so the variable in the movie with him is humanity. It's the end. It's it's the it's kind of the rescue or whatever at the end. It's like Max is Max is off his radar once he's gone, and that's the variable that comes back to haunt him. Um, but we'll talk more about it. So I so you say you never seen it before, which is crazy. But thank you for picking it. Um, yeah, I I had watched this once before, and I think it was, I feel like I was in high school, simply because, uh, it was coming off where jamie fox had a very hot streak um was he uh, in like ray we were in high school he was well, in like ray, and- ray i was actually in middle school when ray and collateral both came out um to, to date myself um uh sorry, sorry. yeah <laughs> <laughs> for the people who are listening like, oh god uh but yeah we were in where i was in middle school uh when these came out so i think i watched them kind of in high school and it was one that and, and maybe in college i went on like a real tear in high school into college where I was just watching so much stuff. I was such a nerd. Um, uh, but yeah, Michael Mann's a guy that I was like really into. Cause it's like, you had collateral. I had seen like last of the Mohicans public enemies was coming out when I was in high school. So my man was kind of on my radar a little bit. Um, so yeah. I, I never revisited uh, collateral until now, but it's always like one, like I distinctly remember 
the a lot of the moments in it for i did forget how stacked the cast is is, I had no cast, idea. I had no idea. The cast is kind of amazing, and I was like, Holy "It is an crap. amazing cast." I forgot but these, these people, people are in young. It. They're yeah. really young, and they're they're just kind of like just burgeoning their careers, are just about to yeah. take off. And I, you know, you could argue that this movie really helped them ascend to where they are now. Um, which is, you know, I, obviously when you work with uh, an A list director in the, you know, at the zenith of their like career, like you know, obviously that's going to happen, but like. The story, some of the uh, when I did more research into this, some of the cast members in this movie, how they ended up in here, uh, and who initially was supposed uh-huh. to do some of these roles. Yeah, I've heard a few. I've heard a few names. I heard a few names with this. Um, so tell. So going off that, the collateral currently streaming on HBO Max as recording, and possibly wherever you want to rent mo- or where you can rent movies. But but who all is in this film, Hunter? Okay, so um, you got Tom Cruise as the morally ambiguous hitman villain. Uh, who's just kind of a terrible nihilistic person, but also erratic as a way I would describe very, him. Very unpredictable. Against type, yeah, very, very against, against type for Tom, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Um, Jamie Foxx plays uh, Max, who's the taxi driver, the lead. I would say the lead, even though he got nominated as supporting actor. I, mean, I agree with you. Yeah, kind of weird. Yeah, he's clearly the lead, but uh, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that. I, I have an I, I have a re, I, I have a thought of why. So. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested to see where you go with that. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is Annie, who's a love interest. Also, the I don't want to spoil the the plot of the movie, but she is someone on the hit list from Vincent's hit list. Uh, you got uh, Mark Ruffalo jumping in there. Very young looking Mark Ruffalo mm-hmm. uh, is one of the detectives, the LAPD like street detectives that's trying to piece together what's going on throughout the night. Uh, Peter Berg. As yeah. his partner, which I thought was fascinating. And also, um, just to dive into it later with where his career trajectory kind of ended up after this and the things he's made are very similar um, in the same vein as this, especially with time constraint movies. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, kind of in terms yeah. of the visual style, he's also kind of carried, carried it on. Like, I think of like Friday Night Lights, the prime example, the movie. Oh, for of how sure. He, he takes but also, the visual like, think style. about some yeah. of his movies that he's made, like, uh, you know. Patriot Day, Patriot's Day, time constrained yeah, yeah. movie. Yeah, um, the Marcus Luttrell, Deep on Horizons. Also, Deep on Horizon. It's it's. Yeah. I I don't know if it's technically a twenty four hour movie. It might be more like a forty eight hour movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's still so condensed down to it's like contained, he uses yeah. he uses the the t- the constraints of time and like basically people running out of time, very much like Max. Um, in his movies and it's something that I, I definitely correlated when I realized who what was going on with him in this movie and then uh, Javier Bardem in a glorified uh, very small cameo but a very effective cameo I very, thought it was terrifying that's, that's, dude he's yeah. terrifying in this Yeah, and Great it scene. really does pave the way for him later on I you know I didn't dive yeah. into what he was in previous to this but um, he's great in the limited time he's in this movie um, but that's kind of your main cast. I mean, there's people that, you know, there's a couple character actors that are in and around, but there's, those are, I would say those are the most notable. Yeah. You get a few, you get, you get, you get like, uh, Bruce McGill pops up in it. Who I really love. Um, yeah. who's, who's the FBI guy. You get Jason Statham. Good. You get Jason Statham. Fun fact about old Jason Statham I, in this. I, I know. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> the director, the director from the Transporter, said that the, he was the same character from the Transporter in this movie, and that the universes yeah. are connected. I was like, 
fascinating. Is that real or is that? Yeah. Like, did you ask Michael Mann if that's approved? Like, I don't know if that's like canon or not. Canon. I don't know. I don't know. I want to know. So you got a great cast. Um, you got Michael Mann directing. Any other crew members we should know about? Do you want to bring up um, here? I mean, yeah, Michael Mann, um, Stuart Beatty was the writer. He did the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Um, IMDb says he's doing Halo and Gears of War, which I thought was uh, fascinating. Um, Frank Darabont did a pass on the script early on. Okay. Um, which honestly kind of made sense uh, as the movie went on. It, it, it has that kind of vibe, I feel like. It kind of has that Darabont uh, crime gritty drama kind of deal mm-hmm. yeah um well speaking of that let's dive into the history of how this got made how like the production of it how did how did collateral come to screen or come to i guess shooting so initially i guess when Stuart Beatty wrote the script it got passed around and hbo ultimately had it and then passed on it because they were gonna have darabont do it and then they passed because darabont at that point was in a deal with hbo mm-hmm. um but when they passed that it went to DreamWorks. Um, Russell Crowe was attached to Star as Vincent and then ultimately passed. But when he was working on it, I guess he had given it to Michael Mann and was like, yo, I love this script, but I can't do it. But like, you should read it. Michael Mann loved it and was like, we're going to make this movie. Um, but even then, before that, like it went through the hands of multiple people. Like, there's one, there's a Brazilian director who only turned it down because he didn't want to relocate to L.A. for eight months. <laughs> and his, I I run back and read what he wanted to do with it. And he was like, I wanted to make it a comedy like after hours. Okay. And I was like, that's a drastically different way to make this movie. Who was it? Janusz Kaminski or was it someone else? Cause Janusz Kaminski. It was someone else. Okay. Cause I know Janusz Kaminski was rumored for it at one point. It was attached multiple, to one point. It was turned out by a lot of people. Like multiple people were attached and then this was just not going to happen. Oh, it's the, oh, Fernando. Okay. It's the guy did city of God who too wanted to make it like after hours. I got you. Okay. Yes. He wanted to make it a comedy like after hours. And it just would have been a drastically different movie. Cause this is not a comedy in the slightest. I mean, there's like nihilistic comedy, but like, it's not, this is not meant for jokes. This is like terrifying. Yeah. And, and so I'm, uh, and I also, I think I heard, so it sounds like, cause so Stuart B is, is he Australian, I think, right? He is. He's Australian. And it's, I, I just, I just kind of briefly read like he, uh, when he was 17, he kind of came up with the idea for the movie is what it was. Like it was based on a, he took, he took a cab home, cab home from Sydney airport and had the idea of a homicidal maniac sitting in the back of a cab with the driver nonchalantly conversing with him. Even the studio, like once Michael Mann had uh-huh. said, like he's going to do this movie, the studio came in and basically their casting dis- the choices or options and mm-hmm. Michael Mann's like did not align. Okay. And they really wanted De Niro as Max. And they were like, no, like we don't want this to be taxi driver. He's like, but it's the, and he's like the opposite. And they're like, no, <laughs> and Adam Sandler was supposed to play Max, mm-hmm. uh, but he, he turned it down for Spanglish. Yeah, I, I heard that Sandler was attached to it at one point. So yeah, it sounds like it went through a lot of different kind of variations. It did. Yeah, Cooper Gooding Jr. passed on Max. Like so many people wanted to do this and then just didn't. Yeah, and I and I had read too like it was supposed to be in like New York City originally and not LA. Yeah, Michael Mann had it changed to LA because he said he wanted to make a movie set in LA at night. Specifically at night. 
and and he and, and it makes sense because he's done a lot of LA stuff with um with Heat with Heat being being kind of the big one. Um, and I don't, I think Thief I think Thief is New York is what it is. No, Thief is Chicago. So he's done Chicago with Thief. Manhunter I think is like weirdly in like Birmingham. It takes place in Birmingham and Atlanta. I just watched it two weeks ago. Yes, there you go. So it's yeah. it's it's, it's kind of all over. So yeah, so it sounds like it was a lot of different people kind of attached to it. It just goes through a lot of hands. Yeah, which happens a lot in in uh in this industry because like if if Stuart Beatty came up with the movie when he was seventeen years old, that means he was uh it was nineteen eighty nine when he came up with the idea. So it sat in some sort of idea land for fifteen years or fifty or. or idea land or pass through hands for 15 years as well no i think yeah i think i think it's it's kind of it's a very fantastic kind of um film and still thinks it still holds up today so we get kind of the cast together do you know how tom cruise gets involved at all i don't remember finding anything about how he got involved um i know that when he when they cast him they specifically wanted to cast him against type and the man was like it's perfect for him because it's completely against what his type is yeah and that's what i really want um, and honestly, I don't think they could have made a better choice. I think Tom Cruise was the best choice they could have made for this role. In my opinion, I don't like, I think and like, he really went for it in all honesty, like mm-hmm. a second that he got involved, like t- what I read was Tom Cruise at this point spent months going undercover and working covertly as a FedEx driver in an attempt to become less recognizable. That's kind of insane to me. <laughs> it is. That's insane. But like he did it. Yeah. And then Jada Pinkett Smith went and worked with real, like with like attorneys in their office so that she could just kind of become that person. Um, and the, it's really crazy. The cast that they end up going with, cause like Val Kilmer was originally going to play detective Fanning mm-hmm. who ultimately went to, um, Ruffalo. to Ruffalo yeah. because he wanted to go do Oliver Stone's Alexander. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is like everyone that they chose to do this movie took it so, so seriously. Like they, they, they approached it in this way of, like genuinely like giving everything. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I think that's kind of like man, man does that where it's like, he definitely for better or worse, uh, expects a lot out of his, his cast. So it's like, it's like, the, it's like the shootout and heat, like with, with, with the, with the, everyone talks about how like, like the gun, the shootout with, with Val Kilmer and stuff, how like the way he's shooting those guns, like most, professional like people or you go on YouTube and watch the videos of, of Cruz training for this with the LAPD. And he like spent three months at that combat firing center with Larry Zanoff shooting this. And like, dude, you can watch him. You can watch it on YouTube right now. It's crazy. Like he goes, they go the extra mile. Mm-hmm. And I know that man expects it of them because in the behind the scenes stuff, that's also on YouTube you can like they talk about it they talk about going the extra mile for man how man takes it take after take after take after take and like being so hard to please yeah but it's never they never talk about it in a, in a negative way it's just like they know that he expects perfection yeah and they want to give him that perfection and i think they do mm-hmm. i really think they do and it's really clear in this movie that like his level of detail while some may think it's a little neurotic Mm-hmm. is like it it comes across in the final product i think really really well let's dive into favorite scenes because we're talking a lot about how great the cast is and yeah. how committed they are but let's break it down a little bit of like what's some moments that 
we like in this film. So what's what's one that you have? I so as much as I love the Koreatown nightclub sequence mm-hmm. and just the chaos that ensues from that, it's very well blocked. But the scene that I thought was so great was Javier Bardem's scene. Oh, it's a fantastic scene. It's 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 hands down some of the best acting either of them have ever done. And like they've yeah. done, they've done a lot of great stuff, but like you don't a you don't know anything about much of these characters at all. Mm-hmm. Like they never go into any backstory, but like you don't need to understand anything except Javier Bardem is a bad man who's done bad things who will who you don't want to make mad, and that's all you need to know. And then you go into the scene and he's terrifying but also still like charming in a way, like playful, but still terrifying. And then you see Jamie Foxx, like Max is having to make, he's tr- he's finally, it's a sink or swim moment. Yeah. And like, you see him finally click, like it finally clicks in his head and it, everything starts to just flip at that point. Yeah, it does. And you're like, okay, you're like, okay, like we're, we're buckled in ladies and gentlemen, like we're rocking and rolling. Let's go. Cause that, cause at the key of, at the kind of the core of this thriller, it is this, transformation for max it is this like when you first meet him when like he meets jay pinkett uh annie and when he talks with vincent it's like he's a guy who's like oh this is a temporary job this taxi driver just takes a temporary job how am i doing it 12 years like he is a guy who passive yeah yeah. pass he's passive he sticks with the routine he goes about his day every day the same way nothing changes and it's just the hope that one day like i'll be able to do, get my limo service i'm working on a few things which when you're in la i mean really anywhere it's like you've met those people or you you, you might feel like that that kind of person at some point in your life of like it's the kind of like talking about the one day this thing will happen or whatever and yeah. that scene he's now been with crew or with vincent for a while that night he's seen how vincent is his personality is and kind of how he takes charge or whatever. And like you said, he's coming in the scene to meet Javier Bardem where it's like, he is a sitting duck. Basically he is yeah. walking in to just like chaos. He's walking into a lion's den. Exactly. Like he is just walking into the line of fire knowingly with yeah. no, no option. No, like Not he either has to go in and just give it a shot and see yeah. what he can do and hope to survive yeah. or ultimately just die anyway. It's like, it, it's, and you see it finally when everything's on the table, all the cards are played. You see him finally take that turn, mm-hmm. and it it was so good. He plays it off so well, like that. Just the switch. The, the yeah. Once the once he takes off his glasses, yeah, it's amazing. He that yeah the scene the turn where he's just like tell your man it's like and he and you start hearing him say the things that he's heard Vincent like spew in his car, like basically vent to or, or say in his, his cab all night. What do you think I like coming in here? But hey, shit happens. Gotta roll with it. Adapt. Darwin. I Ching. The fat man, the penthouse guy, the jazz man. I leave too. Can you finish? In six years. No, it's great. And again, it's the idea of that we talk about humanity is that he st- Max still has his humanity mode because like, well, the I like the turn where he goes like just for just for this like uh, I'm gonna take 25 percent off, make it 35 percent off, and he's basically screwing over Vincent when he gets paid for the thing. But yeah. it's the moment when he's talking about Daniel, who's the jazz club owner, 
he said, Daniel says he's sorry. And Vincent would never say that to Felix. He would never say, because when, when Daniel, the jazz owner is killed, Vincent forgets about him and goes about his day. Like that's, he is not part of the equation now. I'm done. But Max, because he's, he is still, he's still full of humanity. That is still wearing at him. He's still, that's still like kind of gnawing at him. And he, and he wants to like get out Daniel's final words basically to this guy. And that's when Felix is kind of like, that was odd. Like what that, that doesn't seem like the type of person that would say, like they would say Daniel said he's sorry. And then he leaves and he's yeah. like, huh? Yeah. And he's like, if he does anything wrong, kill him is basically what, Felix, what Javier Bardem does. Hmm. Interesting. Follow him. Make sure if he screws up, you can just kill him. It's, it's a fantastic scene with Fox. And fo- that's why I think Fox in terms of looking at the context of Fox's career, and he had done Ali previously, and he's about to do Ray at this point, but that's when, like, oh, that's his Oscar moment. When he makes that switch, it's like, oh, this guy's an actor, and... Yeah, people are going to take you seriously for the rest of your life. Exactly, exactly, after this moment in time. And that goes into talking about the guy, talking about Daniel. Another, uh, one of my favorite scenes is the jazz club scene. When It's a great scene. It's, cruising it's like the this one moment. quiet it's the, moment. Yeah, it's... It's it's like so so Fox has Fox has a great turn in the the Javier Bardem scene. Cruz has a fantastic turn in the jazz scene when they're talking about they're talking about jazz. They're talking about Miles Davis and 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 Barry Shabaka Henley who plays Daniel the the guy who owns the club has this great moment of talking about the day Miles Davis showed up and like you you just think these guys are at this point like three dudes talking about jazz music and. It's so it's kind of warm, which is very different than the rest of the movie. And then Vincent's like, "Oh, I'll be sure to tell my friends from this place about that." And Dan- and Daniel's face just like in a second just changes, and he now realizes what's going on. And yeah. Max is like, "Let's not do this here." And it's like, and, and it's just Cruz is that turn is so fantastic from Cruz. And like there is, and in that scene, there is this brief moment where that humanity kind of comes back with Vincent, where he almost gives Daniel a second chance, and it's to like ask the question about how did Miles Davis like, how did Miles Davis learn music is what it is. But to Max, that that moment is like, because he's so right there close to him, that moment's gonna haunt him forever. What do you say? Said one word. Cool. Cool. That's it. Yeah. It meant good, but not ready. It meant look me up when you are. Did you? No. I got drafted and ran into some other things, and uh, by the time I got back to music, the uh, season had passed. Did you know, I was born in 1945, but that night was the moment of my conception, right here in this room. Crazy not here. Well, jazz ain't the draw that it used to be. What a great story. Mm. I gotta tell the people in Kulakan and got the hand of that story. You know the folks in Kulakan and Cartagena? Right so. I just when I thought you were a cool guy. I'm a cool guy. Do you have another scene you wanna bring up? I mean, I, I talked about the Koreatown nightclub. That is a great yeah. 
Nightclub's great. great. A great action scene. Like, man, like that is just so well executed, so well choreographed. Everything was fantastic. Stunt work was great. Um, I I loved when they crashed in the, the cab, the, the crash sequence. Yeah. When he crashes the cab in the street. And, like, that legit, that is Jamie and Tom in the car when they yeah. flip that car. Yeah. That is that's nuts. crazy. Yeah. That never happened today. I mean, like you could. I mean, you could try. Tom would probably push you to try, but like, yeah. yeah. And I tell you right now, firsthand experience, bad news. Don't want to do that at all. But it was so well done, and just like the aftermath of it, and like Max having to make that, like putting it all together in his head about what's yeah. going on, and like finally having to just like do it for himself, like to take that's charge his- of the situation. Yeah, that's so the, good, the man. yeah, that's the moment where it's like, because that's a great scene leading up to that. It's like oh, they're now almost kind of on the same level because Vincent's always kind of been bullying, not bullying him, but he, he's he's been the dominant guy. He's poking him. Yeah. yeah, he's poking. He's the dominant guy in the whole thing. And that's after the the Koreatown scene and like they're like, and Max is just like, screw it. I don't know if I'm getting out of this alive. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go head to head with this guy. And that's when you start. And that's when like Vincent's now for the first time with, with Max, he's backpedaling a little bit. It's the he's like, and that, he's, he, he becomes like, yeah. he, you see him get like a little bit hurt. It's the like, you don't know people like you don't know. You've lost, you've lost all your skills about how to read people or whatever. And then that's when like Vincent's like, Oh, wait a second. <laughs> and then he just floors it. And he's like, we're flying through LA and, now. Yeah, baby. And, and, and Vince, but like, yeah, Vince attacks him. Like, oh yeah. You're the guy who's been temporary working at a, a cab company for 12 years, lying to your sick mother that you own a limo company. Like you're never going to do it. Like you, you just, you're going to sit behind here and be comfortable or whatever. And that's, yeah. When, when Max just like floors it and Vince is like, wait a minute, slow down. That's a red light. That's a red light. <laughs> It was so good, man. It's such a good little sequence. No, it's yeah, it's and like, it's even the line and, and that to go go back and like or to tie in a little bit earlier. It's like he has like oh like you can't even call the woman that left your card. Like she wants you to call her, and you're like, nah, I'm gonna do that probably because you're just scared about changing up your routine, basically. Ask the question. Look in the mirror. Paper towels, clean cab, limo company someday. How much you got saved? I didn't have any business. Someday, someday my dream will come. One night you'll wake up and you'll discover it never happened. It's all turned around on you. It never will. Suddenly you are old. It didn't happen. And it never will because you were never going to do it anyway. You're pushing into memory that zone out in your barco lounger, being hypnotized by daytime TV for the rest of your life. Don't you talk to me about murder. All it ever took was a down payment on a Lincoln Town car. And that girl, you can't even call that girl. What the fuck are you still doing driving a cab? I also just love that little sequence when they take off after the Koreatown thing and they leave and he just runs the yeah. Crown Vic taxi into the three cars. Yeah. And I, I was watching something about it and like Jamie Foxx is like, yeah, he told me to just barely bump the car. So I go and I, I go to bump it, but the Crown Vic is such a hard thing to to the, the steering is so bad that I just bump and like hit three cars and Tom's in the back just laughing at me. And like, he's like, Tom's just laughing and laughing. He's like, I got billion dollar, like Tom Cruise in the backseat of this car. And I'm just nailing every single car in this line of cars. And that's ultimately the take they use. And yeah. I was like, that's beautiful. 
when it it makes the cut in the film, but it works really well because it seems yeah. so genuine. Like it seems like so real. Like yeah. it's because it's not scripted and it plays that way. I honestly like it's something you notice when you're watching. You're like, oh, that's a weird choice, but like I like it. You know, it's funky. And let's let's go with that because I think that that goes with the idea of the cinematography of the movie as well. Because like mm-hmm. he shot it digitally was the thing. You might say it's a little bit later when we do the onset live, but like he shot it digitally and. But what it does that digital cinematography that's in the kind of its infancy on a big screen with this, it's like it, he's able to get some very intimate moments in an action scene, like or in an action movie. It's like the cab scenes are very, like you're really in Jamie Foxx's face, you're really in Tom Cruise's face, like you're really well, that's, in. That's what the feeling of being in a taxi is like. You're up yeah. in that person's business yeah. in their life for five minutes, yeah. twenty minutes. And that's a, that allows you like to have a little. It's against the jazz kind of analogy. It's like you get a little more improv in it. You can improvise more with these style with the style camera in this moment in time because you're not having to lug around film cameras. They're much smaller. Yeah. They're more. They're more um, capable of going smaller smaller places and kind of be moved around at an easier pace. And so like you can do things like all the t- like the, the shots of L.A. And the cab, or it's like, oh, let's get these coyotes there running across the street real quick and like get the camera and shoot it, like just because you see them. It's like it's, you're not having to set up a lot of stuff, and you can like get, you'll get a lot, you'll get grainy and grainy footage and everything, but it works for this movie because it's a, it's at night and, and the what, what they do with it. Yeah, I thought it worked really well. And it also pairs really well with that LA early 2000s look. Yeah. Like the just kind of the hazy night that you have like that little glow. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. It, it really yeah. is like a perfect marriage of the technology. And it, I read that it was the first time that a, you know, a list director had used predominantly digital video instead of film in a thing. And it worked. I thought it worked really well. It was a great choice. And this is probably the, the perfect movie to do it on. Yeah. In my opinion. I don't know if you could have done another movie. Yeah, I agree. Like, man, really, like, I think Lucas does it a little bit with Star Wars, but I think he does it. He makes it. He does the glossy kind of digital effect with like Attack of the Clones, and um. But man's like, no, no, let's just let's go for like the gritty kind of darkness of of digital cinematography, and it just it. There's a period where in digital cinematography, where, like, it, it definitely looks dated, and like, or a period in film where that cinematography type looks dated, but this still really holds up. Like they can't, like some of the action scenes might look a yeah. little like the motion of it looks odd, but like the way it's the the way it's lit and the way he uses natural lighting, the way he gets so intimate scenes with these with these characters, um, I think it's just it's it's fascinating. I think still like it's very effective as we're saying. Completely agree. Completely agree. Hundred percent. And one more scene I want to bring up too, kind of, or two more things before we move on. Or a few, there's a lot of stuff actually, but uh, I'll be quick. Uh, but one of my favorite scenes out of the gate, I love Jamie Foxx's scene with J. Pinkett Smith in the cab. I, oh yeah, for for a movie really that's well done. for a movie that's not a romance film, he they're able to get this great just kind of romantic chemistry. But they're not, not even, even like, flirting, really. They're, they're not, not even flirting. Really no, they're just it's talking. just talking. They're just talking. And like, but because it's like, I, I read an Ebert, Roger Ebert's review of it. He's like, it's one of those conversations where like, uh, you're running out of time, but you want to have more words with that person is basically what it is. It's like, Oh, you're enjoying, you're enjoying the conversation, um, with this person, not in a terms of like that. Neither one of them has the, um, motive to like 
get the other's number. It's, it's like as if there's no romantic objective with either of them. And it's purely just like enjoying the com- conversation with this person. And again, yeah. it's it's the fascinating moment of the it's kind of duality that we're talking about is that he has this great scene with J.F. Pinkett Smith talking about just like actually like admitting things about one each each other. She's talking about how she like gets nervous for a case. He's talking about his like business deal. And these are things for a character that's very beneficial in this film. Like you you now know a lot about Max within that moment with information he would never tell Vincent. Just never tell him. But because we get it in that scene, we now look at Max as not just a cab driver. He's way more than that. He's a guy who has some sort of dream in mind and is stuck in this kind of dead-end job, basically. I look at that scene like it's the it's the it's probably the best 10 minutes of that person's day on yeah. either side of the coin. Like it, it's yeah. the it's the ride it's the ride Jamie Fox never wishes had to end, and it's the first time Jada Pinkett has been herself around anyone, in who knows how long. And like just watching them let the walls kind of come down naturally, it, it works so well. And like one of the things that I read of that man you know really tried to take to heart in this is like when they interviewed taxi drivers, consultants on the film, how every single like basically how you either could you could basically just become someone's psychiatrist or shrink yeah. for 20 minutes. And like, you, you know, you never may never see that person again. Chances are you never will, but you learn so much, so many in, intimate details uh, about these people that, you know, you never expect to see again and they don't ever expect to see you again. So what does it matter if you know these things? I've had so many you know? conversations with Uber drivers, man. Like I totally get it. It totally makes sense to me. Yeah, LA Uber drivers have a lot of really great conversations. LA Uber I, I've had I've some had great stuff. conversations with, with with LA Uber drivers. Have great conversations with Austin, Texas Uber drivers. Some some nice people oh, down in Austin. Yeah. Great Atlanta Uber drivers. I got one guy who like gave me a said get, apologized because the fee was too much, but he, he kept the money. Um, <laughs> You said I'll give you six hundred dollars to take me around well, the city all it was, night long. It, the, the side thing, the fee was just too much, and I like to go to Buckhead to like I guess to, to my hotel, like the the Hilton down there. I was like, this was is that too the much. Nine, the ninety dollar Uber fare, hundred hundred dollar Uber fare at yes. like a a non busy night, and I remember that guy looked at me because we had it was like a fifteen minute ride, and we were having a good conversation. He was like. Why didn't your Why didn't your person your friend like take you to a hotel? He's like, this is gonna be like a fifty sixty dollar Uber drive uh, ride. I'm like, oh really? He's like, yeah. And we're chatting and we're in, like we're enjoying the company. And then like we get there in my hotel, he goes, oh man. And I was like, what is it? Is it sixty? Is it more than sixty? He goes, it's a hundred dollars. And I was like, oh man, that sucks. He's like, yeah. Like I really I feel bad, but like I also like kind of need the money. So like have a good night like it's basically what <laughs> <laughs> hey man you gotta respect uh, the hustle you yeah i was like hustle. i was like it's not your fault it's uber spot and i swap uber for a year because of that anyway um <laughs> but no so so um but to go with that scene yeah so what's i think also very fascinating in terms of the writing of this is like you have that scene with them you have that scene of max and, and anna annie and then it's it's this great scene of connection and then what happens right after that Cruz comes in and just disrupts that completely and talks about yeah. how this city, no one connects. This city sucks because no one connects and it's a town of millions, millions. No one knows each other. And it's the exact opposite 
And like, and even when Vincent's trying to get kind of information out of Max, like, oh, like, what do you want to do? Like, what's the thing you're saving up for? He's like, oh, that's that's kind of personal. I don't want to tell you. And it's just a great kind of, again, the opposite of what we just saw. How do you like being a lawyer? What are you, psychic? A little bit. There's the dark pinstripe suit, elegant, not too flashy, that rules out advertising, plus a top drawer briefcase that you live out of, and the purse of Bottega. Anyway, a man gets in my cab with a sword, I figure he's a sushi chef. <laughs> you? Clarence Darrow. Well, no, not quite. He works defense, I'm a prosecutor. Oh, big case? And it's so weird to see these moments in an action film. And Ebert said something very interesting in his review for this film. He talked about how like action gains action gains a lot when it happens to convincing individuals instead of the off-shelf action figures is what he says. It's like mm. action is more interesting when it's just int like individuals and not just like fake people. And I think that's what's so crazy when looking at that quote and looking at Collateral that's something we do not get to see a lot in action movies nowadays. It's that nowadays there's not say they're, they are literal superheroes, but even in the non superhero movies, the characters are this almost these iconic godlike characters who have no flaws and who have no backstory a lot of the yeah. time. They're and, just, they're just trying to facilitate the next set piece. Yeah. That's all it is. They're just trying to build the next set piece and then that set piece is there and then they go into the next thing and they mm -hmm. leave unscathed. It may be a close call, but they're unscathed. Like, you know, we just there's no sense of actual danger for any of these people. And, and in this movie, you have the set pieces, but then you also have these great character pieces in between the set pieces. Well, you get the little quiet times and they're in the car, just having yeah. a one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, it really, it really is, like, in a lot of moments, a beautiful moments. And you have these great parts of, like, the hospital scene with his mom and, and, and like, Cruz. Cruz, everyone has a code in their own way. Um, and, and it's very fascinating. I'm very happy to meet you, Mrs. DeRocher. Oh, just call me Ida. <laughs> Ida. I was with Max when he, uh, when he got the call. And you came all the way over here to see me? It's nothing, ma'am. <laughs> Tell my son, you have to hold a gun to his head and make him do anything. You must be one of Max's important clients. Client, I, uh, you know, I like to think of myself as his friend. Max never had many friends. Always talking to himself in the mirror. It's unhealthy. Mom, how many times I got to ask you, please don't do that. Do what? Don't don't talk about me like I'm not right here in the room here. Let's uh let's move on to onset life. So what do you have? Um, so the DP, the original DP, Paul Cameron, le leaves after three weeks of shooting, uh, with creative differences with man. I don't know if that's because of the video deal. I really have no idea what the creative difference was. Yeah, it lo it looks like it looks like. One, I, I just found something real quickly. Uh, they're talk basically saying like man wanted to do something different with the H. Like basically, I think the ball camera wanted to have like more of a glossier kind of glowy look uh, with it. And man's like, no, 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 just up that game. Let's get that grain there, baby. Let's yeah. get the let's we get the greens. Grungy baby, let's, dirty. And, it, and I think I think that's where they disagreed on was like let's not do that. So yeah, so three oh, weeks. <laughs> uh, you know hey three weeks good good for paul he tried um i did so uh, basically the the we talked earlier about the insane amount of takes that man would ask to go on uh but also like in some of the behind the scenes stuff just watching 
how much Michael Mann just loves LA <laughs> and just like, he just loves LA and the little bits of character in LA. And he's like, we would take murals from one place and either repaint them completely to match in other places. Uh, we would go into some areas that were like, we shot on a bridge that was controlled by a gang and we got permission from the gang to keep their, uh, their paint, the murals in there. That's such a Michael Mann was move. Like, this is poor locations. People. Yeah. These poor locations people had to just be just terrified on a daily basis of like, are we going to go home alive tonight? Is someone going to die? And like, but Michael Mann just, you could tell he genuinely loved LA. And I love when, I love when a director cares that much about the setting mm-hmm. that they're shooting in, regardless of where it is. Yeah. You can tell, you can tell when the, the detail comes out, they, you know, it's not like this could just be any old city. Like you see the bits of character. From LA, there's literally a part where Michael Mann's standing outside of this gas station that they stop at. He's uh-huh. talking about how much he loves this mural on the wall of the gas station. It's got all these uh, painted fruits on it, and he's like, "This is mm-hmm. just, this is just perfect. This is LA, baby. This is it." And I was just like, <laughs> "This man loves this town." And like, I, I, you know, I appreciate that. But aside from that, the um, something that I thought was kind of crazy was that they used LA County inmates as extras in a lot of this Re- movie really yeah yeah i got there was a bit about it where on one of the commentaries and he's talking about how the security guards in one of the scenes are all la county inmates that are on a work release program for their movie and i don't know how that got okayed yeah how that but like i've never heard of that before i thought it was fascinating well i'm just saying too i'm just saying too it's like i mean I, what like what the insurance of that might be? Grant, I'm not saying I'm not judging who was who was in prison or what they did for him. I'm not saying that, but it's like as a logistical thing, like paperwork, like how you this get seems that. Seems like passed. a decision that had to have been made that no one brought up. And they were like, we're just gonna put them on the skins, and they're no one knows any better. Because you because know, you you know someone said, okay, we have like the biggest star in the world in this movie, and like we're putting inmates as extras in the scene. Again, again. Not a comment on people who were there. I don't know them, but I'm like I'm saying, as like a logistical thing, someone definitely asked that question. That was like definitely a question. Someone that definitely was asked. did, but I also think I don't think there's another biggest star in the world that could have you could have gotten away with this. I agree on with you on that. With, other than Cruz, I, like you yeah. couldn't have gotten away with that on the movie with like The Rock or anyone. Like it had to be Cruz. Cruz like the person who does their own stunts, the person who's willing to be in this cra- like, cab when it crashes is the only person that you're going to be like, yeah. And like half those guys over there are inmates, but like, they're pretty chill. Yeah. Like and it's I, the only time that that's ever going to work. They're never going to be like, I'm not working. This is unsafe. Like, and he's also been trained to be, uh, incons- or be conspicuous the, or inconspicuous the, the entire man. time. Yeah. Which is, I, I think that's crazy. Was just like, he just worked as a FedEx delivery crazy. man for a while. Months, months. That's insane. Like that's just insane. And like, I, it's it was hard for me to find many things about the actual day to day. Like everyone seemed to be having a good time. I know like they had like seventeen cabs. Uh-huh. That they had ver- at various stages of getting crashed. And they had once they had the one from the beginning when the body fell, when the the first victim falls on the hits the the head hits on the glass, they had to keep that one as like the hero one that they drove around town. But then they still had to they had to basically recreate that same windshield damage on the other one so that they all matched. And like, dude, like, I bet Transpo picture cars on this was a pain in the butt. 
I bet it was <laughs> a lot of work. Just and like when they're shutting down L.A., he's like the sequence of Jamie Foxx is just running through the streets. Mm-hmm. Like that. This is an expensive movie to make. Like a oh, sixty yeah. million budget, but like man, for sixty million, they stretched that sixty million pretty long. They they did. And, they and, really and, did. And if they shot this on film, it'd be way more. That's the other thing. If they shot this movie on film, the movie would yeah. be way more expensive. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that side of it, but that's a great point. Yeah, because and that because like, you gotta think like it, you allow them to have like those like the scene again. The, the, it's the crash scene. Like that's downtown, so that's probably shot late at night, like when no one's there, and they can just kind of put cameras like wherever if they want to. But honestly, like it, you know, it seems like it went pretty well. Like it seems like it was a relatively easy yeah. enough shoot. I mean, like I'm sure it was challenging. It's pretty much all nights. I'm sure it was a brutal shoot. <laughs> I can't yeah, imagine you, it was a very pleasant experience you, to shoot you, yeah, all nights. Yeah, you get like like two like you get like like uh, how many like four scenes a day maybe like Tom Cruise like, like the Jason Statham trade off like you and get even that even that could have been faked at night. That could have been even because uh, it's just an LAX like it could have any any of it could have been and like I guess you get the you do get the sunrise shot at the very end. It's sunrise shot at the very or end coming out. You you do get him picking up Jada. And that's daytime, mm. and then it's nighttime by the end of the ride, and that's when it's night the rest of the time. Um, so, if you're scheduling this movie, do you think that's day one on the schedule? Or do you think that's the last day as a gift to everyone? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I would love to know. Might have to, might have to call up some of these ads. Oh, I did the voice on the uh, the dispatch, the the taxi dispatch. Uh huh. When he keeps hearing the voice come through, and he's like, "Who is that?" Uh huh. That's the first ad. <laughs> on the movie and he said they always uh, they had always planned on having an actor come in and and voice the yeah. roles again but he had the first ad reading the lines to give them something to work off of in the car and he was like he's so an- like his voice is so annoying that it's perfect and we're gonna keep it and like, <laughs> that guy ended up being it's the voice That's sometimes the voice that happens ad. sometimes that happens i ah, mean yeah get get that sad car baby whatever it takes we did onset live. Now what happens? What happens in the, in the aftermath of it all? Um, I mean, it makes two hundred twenty mil plus mm-hmm. worldwide. Dude, success. Everyone makes their money back. Huge, huge plus. <laughs> uh, and it's viewed as most people say it's the second best Michael Mann film, uh, next to Heat. Um, oh, that's. I that, would argue it's. I would argue that's spicy take. I think it's. I think that that close. is a spicy take. That, they're pretty I, I, that, close. I I know I don't I don't know if Collateral's top two though. Michael Mann's made some great films. I have I won't I of the ones I have watched, those are the top two that I've enjoyed the most. And uh-huh. I think like I, honestly like I you know I watched this recently, so I yeah. have like a new appreciation for it. But I did still come out of it feeling the same level of like you know genuine excitement. No, it's amazing. I, I, when I watched Heat, it was the same same feeling. So no, I no, I, I no, I think I think Clara was great. I think I think Heat's amazing. I think y'all should check out Thief because Thief is his first one. And talk about just a debut. That movie comes in just like guns blazing. I don't know how. Okay. Like, I'll like watch it, it. It's it's amazing. Like it's like Tangerine Dream does the score. Beautiful cinematography. Like James Caan, like as a safe cracker. It's that uh, does Diamond Heist like Sounds fantastic. M- michael mann coming in fully formed 
is just at like and he was he was older he was like 38 or something like if he comes in fully formed Heck yeah with thief and it's just it's fantastic so man's a guy i would love to do a man episode like a, a michael man month because like you know we just a collateral but i think he's a guy who's just has so many fantastic films these are just so many movies that like my dad loved my dad <laughs> loved these movies and just watching them again and like you know i know my dad seen them yeah but like i'll, I'll go home at thanksgiving and be like dad i, I've I watched seen collateral. collateral and he's like i love that movie <laughs> yeah but there's been a good reassessment of man of, of late um with like uh i know i just av club i think just did an article on miami vice the movie, which there's been a, a very strong cult following around my advice that makes me want to rewatch it. Um, and I think Last Mohicans is one of those rare movies that is tremendously better than the book, uh, in my opinion. I think the book is eh, and Last Mohicans is, is damn near a masterpiece. Michael Mann knows how to pace a movie, in my opinion. The dude knows when to hit that beat. Yeah, no, he's, I, th- I think he's, he's fantastic with that. Um, it looks like critically it did well. Currently sits at eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. As I would of say record, it's pretty well. Recording very well. Yeah, I think it, uh, aged, it aged well. Yeah, Ebert Ebert gave it a three and a half out of four stars, calling uh, Jamie Fox a revelation because he said, "What would he say?" He said, "Like I thought of him in terms of comedy, like Booty Call and Breaking All the Rules, but here he steps into a dramatic lead and is always convincing and involving." And he's like, now I'm actually looking forward to seeing him play Ray Charles. And so that comes into my next thing of why he is Best Supporting Actor nominee at the Oscars. So at the Oscars, they nominated for, I think, Best Film Editing and Fox is Acting. And he is the lead in this film. Hands down, he's the lead. By far, yeah. And I, I definitely think what, what happens come Oscar season, it's like, okay, you have to pick which movie you're going for in like the lead category. And because Cruz is probably top is top build, they could finagle say, "Oh, Fox is supporting actor. It's actually Tom Cruise's movie, and we're gonna put him up for Ray and Best Leading Actor the same year as he gets nominated for." It's, he's one of the rare people that got nominated for two Oscars in the same year. It's, it's kind of crazy to think um, for this and then for Ray, and he wins for Ray. So I definitely think like when he wins wins for Ray, it's kind of a it's really just a celebration of this. It's celebration combined yeah, with Ray. Yeah, it can combine with Ray because, like, so the year for for uh, he wins for Ray and he's going up against Don Cheadle for Hotel Rwanda, Johnny Depp Finding mm-hmm. Neverland, Leonardo DiCaprio The Aviator, Clint Eastwood Million Dollar wow. Baby, a stacked year in my opinion. And, and he I comes think, out guns blazing, baby. And can, yeah, like, and, and he wins. Give me that award. And 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 in the uh, best supporting actor category, it's him, Clive Owen, and Closer. Thomas Hayden Church and Sideways, Alan Alda and The Aviator, and then Morgan Freeman wins for Million Dollar Baby. So, like, I, I think I, I actually would probably put That's him. Close. I actually probably put him in in a Best Supporting Actor over Best Actor, in my opinion. Uh, but that's just me. I, I think he probably gives. I, I Ray Ray I think has gone down a little bit in in um, praise over the years. I haven't rewatched it. But I think he's fantastic in this film. Um, but I think Michael Mann was supposed to direct The Aviator initially and dropped out and then ended up making this movie in, instead the same year. Yeah, so what worked about this movie, Hunter? The cast obviously worked. We talked about them nonstop. Um, cast just hits on every beat at every point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, man, gotta say, the dude had a yeah. plan. He came in there and he executed. 
and yeah. it is so well done. Like yeah. it is just all of the attention to detail, all of the demanding, you know, things he asks of his actors, all of it. It all comes it all blends in together in this perfect movie in the end. Yeah. Um I mean honestly, I I thought the action sequences were very grounded but also very uh violent. Like, there's a lot of very violent action even in the, just the crash where the cab crashes, violent crash. Uh-huh. I cannot believe that they were in the car when that happened. Um still, still yeah. thinking about that and how wild that is. It's a grungy, dirty violent movie and he captures it in a really compelling way that makes you like afraid for these people like you just you the whole time you just want max to survive so he can go on this date with annie like that's you really end up just like that's all you care you about to call, you just want to call annie yeah, um, dude, you just want to be finally call annie and not to save her life yeah to take her on a uh, nice date she, she, yeah she's just like you call me at a weird hour right now is what she says to him and he's like no there's a hitman in the building um fun fact fun fact the parking garage roof he's standing on belongs to secret service and they had to go through a lot no. of red tape to wow. get that access yep that's yep. crazy secret service parking oh. garage and he's okay. just up there chilling on top okay. <laughs> i have no idea why they own it but they did <laughs> I do love the shot, and that goes my next thing: the cinematography. I love the shot of like Cruz. You see, they, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They rack focus, and you see like just Jamie Fox in the background, like in the part on the parking lot, like looking up love at them. That. It's it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I love that, and I also loved when they're in the dark, and he's it's the cat and mouse scene. Yeah, he's hunting her in the dark, and they keep basically like they keep using the silhouette and like the moonlight on mm-hmm. his white hair, mm-hmm. and he's like just in the dark, like hunting her. Yeah. It was terrifying. It was so scary. I was like, this dude is a seriously evil person. Like he's just hunting her down in the dark. And it's yeah. so well shot. It's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, film. I was reading it going off that of him hunting his kind of like military style. I read that like and it's a big plot point is that he has his set pattern of how he shoots. It's the like two of the chest, one in the head or whatever. And he it's very regimented is what it is. But in the subway, when they do the subway thing, because of the doors, mm-hmm. the bullets just hit the middle of the door. So they're not going for the glass because he's just going to his whole thing. So mm-hmm. it, that's why Jane Fox is not hit. But Fox, who's just shooting randomly through the glass, is how he shoots Cruz. Because when you look at the scene, because when you look at the scene, you actually see the bullet marks in the middle of the door where he was shooting at. Because he just he shoots the same way over and over again. Cause that's, that's what the, fascinating. The, that's the coroner says like, Oh, like literally it's the same shots. I think it's the same guy in like these three different places. And so that's, that's why fascinating. he's fascinating. Yeah. It's fantastic. I do. You know, now that you mentioned it, I do remember when he shoots the guy, when he's like, yeah, homie, you got my bag. Yeah. And the guy's like, he's, and he shoots that guy. He does. He shoots him yeah. like twice. And then once in the head, but then he goes yep. back for that, like no look triple tap. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, this dude is insane. No one should ever cross this man. But yeah, that's Max just, needs to run for it. Like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. And so that's when you, you see like Fox just kind of like shooting around or what, like shooting, like shoot, like just like literally closes his eyes and shoots. And that's the thing I love with Fox too. It's like he's so out of his depth. And I love the again also the moment with the gun when he's about to walk into the building and he like tries to shoot the glass 
but he has the safety on and doesn't know how to take the safety off. He like, takes him a few seconds, and then he does it, like holds up his jacket so glasses and come back and hit him. Like she's nice little details of like what they do with like the, the I mean the, the weapon aspect of it. Like it's it's like a very yeah. much it reveals something about the characters and not just yeah. like people shooting is the thing. It reveals something about yeah, the characters. Yeah, and you know, and that's a com- a lot of conversations that Michael I'm sure have with Larry Zanoff. There's a lot of mm-hmm. like his Larry's like I if I remember correctly, Larry is former Israeli military. Is this the armor? So like, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the about? armor. And like you know he had to pick his brain about this for weeks. Yeah. Like he had to just have a sit down and be like Cruz's character clearly probably has a military background. Like you need yeah. to teach him this, 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 and this. And I'm sure that's exactly what they planned. Like, I'm sure mm-hmm. like you can tell this man is not someone who just taught himself how to use a gun. Mm-hmm. Like this is someone who was trained for years and has killed lots of people. Well, I found, I found that the, uh, uh, Michael Mann himself trained with various weapons. So he knew how to direct the action sequences in full effect. Also I'm reading that Ruffalo also went on a rigorous weapons training uh you know he never uses his gun in the film so he'd look believable having a gun when he has to pull it uh you know i i did not say this earlier uh-huh i could watch a high definition video grungy neon lit video of mark ruffalo just like walking through la <laughs> for hours dude i could just watch that for just like endless loop like it, he's so good at doing next to nothing most of the time he's in this movie it's just so good He's so good. It was something that I appreciated when I watched it. It was like, Mark Ruffalo is really good at just being Mark Ruffalo and like just doing what Mark Ruffalo does. And well, like, thought it was great. He's getting more acclaim now, I guess, after Marvel and he's getting bigger things. But like, honestly, one of the more underrated actors for a while out there until. His, his death scene in this movie is great. He yeah. goes down like a champ. He, he really gives it his all. And like, it, it looks so believable. You're like, that poor dude. You don't see it coming. His death is really unexpected. It really it's is. It really, really is. It's unexpected because it's at an odd beat. Yeah. To where like it happens and you're like, whoa, he, what, what? Uh, yeah. Uh. But then that is what throws the rest of it into high gear. Because it's like the one time Max is like, I might get out of here this might be it. And then it's like, it, the, nah, again, the, the movie does a great job of just like setting you up for one thing and then taking you on a different route within seconds. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, okay. So what Look did not taxi analogies for us? Really funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did anything not work about the movie? Uh, the only thing that I really had negative to say was I could have done without the audio slave song in the middle of the movie. <laughs> I was like, is this necessary? Like that's, this that's whole movie, pure- yeah this whole movie is not dated really all that much until they play Except the audio that. song and you're like you're like i don't what is happening that's I, fair I, I like i know it was michael mann's decision he's like this is the perfect song it has to play and like i could have done without it personally yeah but yeah it's like who does who does in the air yeah in the yeah he, he's like he's into like uh like as he does like a, a new metal type version of uh in the air and night for miami vice so he was like very much in this world of like this type of rock music that's happening in America. Yeah, like I could have done I could have done without Chris Cornell. I love you know, no shade to Chris Cornell or Audio Slave, but it, it was it seems a little out of place in with everything else. Cause you have like a lot of this is jazz. Yeah, um, and this is like hard rock songs. Some, there's some roots in there. And then you just have Chris Cornell. It's very strange <laughs> to me. But you know what? It didn't totally kill it. It just kind of made me stop for a second and be like, 
Okay. One thing that doesn't really work for me when looking at it, where I was like, this is taking a little too long. It's actually the subway. Some of the subway stuff goes on a little too long for me. Because I feel like the ending of the subway thing is great. I think the ending of the subway thing is great. I think the rescue of Jada when they're, or when they're trying to get out of the building is great. But there's a point where I was just like, we're still in the subway here. And like, it's just about like, is he going to get off the train? It's like this, the crew's like pointing the gun down the way. Like he better not step off the train. We'll shoot him. And there's like too much cat and mouse in the subway when we already had a lot of cat and mouse up in the, in the tower, basically. So it feels like a little too much. And for a movie that has so many, like kind of set piece, then character piece, set piece, then character piece. It feels like set piece then set piece. Where it's like, yeah, tower rescue. It becomes like a French yeah. Connection level set piece at one point, and you're like, is this necessary? I don't think so. And then the ending, the ending of it works with like the the how the how Cruz dies and kind of his final line of the great callback to like what he says about the guy who died on the MTA for and no one noticed him for six hours. Like it's a it's a phenomenal kind of writing piece. Again, that's the character part, but it's like it has to little too, like the shot of like not a bad shot but like the shot of like the wide shot of like jane fox and jay like on the subway like should we step off should we go and it just it's it's trying to build tension and i but feel like necessary could, i feel like you could have shortened it a little bit that's that's my only complaint that's fair so you've mentioned a lot of names let's run through them real real, real quick again for alternate universe cast so who all was up for this movie you said adam sandler which makes sense because i'm trying to do like a comedian kind of, kind of character because that's what Fox was viewed as mostly at this point in time. Yeah. Adam Sandler was. Cuba Gooding Jr. was. Mm-hmm. As far as Max goes. And then with Vincent, I mean, Russell Crowe would have been fine. He's not yeah. going to be um, Tom Cruise by any means. But he would have been, at that point in time, I think it would have been pretty pretty good. Now, I also read Edward Norton was offered both lead roles. Interesting. And turned them down. I, I could have seen Vincent maybe, but even then... I, I really think Cruz is perfect for that role. No, I think Cruz. I, I think it's. I think he's fantastic, and I, I agree. I think. I think you you had to use his superstardom. They, they use they use his superstardom in a great way of just like it is against type, but it's like the thing about Cruz and Thomas and I talked this before. It's like Cruz is like one step away from like being like a, a serial killer in a movie. Like it's yeah. like he he just kind of has that like he could either be very charismatic. In a, in a good way or then just be like uh like dead side type character and could be pure evil if he wanted to i mean that's that's why he's kind of yeah. underrated as an actor um and this is where it's like cool we're gonna make him dead inside fully and like have completely. this completely yeah com- and it fully acknowledged that that's how yeah. he is like that's his strength in yeah his in his belief in himself is that he has no emotion and that's what makes him effective exactly and that's it's basically it's like let's not make him tom cruise it's like, that's why the gray hair is like kind of like amazing look for him that he and never little, like kind of facial hair yeah he's like yeah perfect. you're like yeah no one's gonna recognize this guy it's tom cruise is the thing and i, I remember the trailers yeah. came out it's just like is that tom cruise why is he in this but yeah i i think i think he's fantastic one other name i just saw was dicaprio was apparently considered for the role of vincent uh, but was busy shooting the aviator. Well, it worked out for everyone. I think I think we're good. Yeah, they both got Oscar nominations. Uh, apparently, Colin Farrell was offered the role of Vincent as well. <laughs> uh, really? And then would later do uh, Miami Vice again. Miami some Vice. of these, 
somebody's i don't know how true it is because it's just internet uh it looks like also john travolta for vincent as well okay he, he i have a hard tra- time seeing that i could see travolta but travolta's gotta be like brought down travolta with a good director i think can be great travolta with the okay director or um, a bad director is like you let him go off the rails too much is the thing he has to like yeah be kind of constrained so those are some names i see um all right so what is next on here um film facts do you have any should we bring up ava here yeah maybe we should yeah, because I, th- I think I, this plays in the Benton Park. So if that was a, yeah. So basically, Ava DuVernay was a publicist. It was a studio publicist at this time, and she had worked on several kind of. I think I think for DreamWorks maybe is what she was. Um, if was I'm not DreamWorks. mistaken, so she was on this film, and I don't know if it was probably because of the digital aspect and kind of seeing Michael Mann direct. Where she said, "Oh, I could do this. This is something I want to do." And I think that digital world that she was introduced to, maybe I don't, I don't know, I don't remember her talking about this, but like, showed her like she go make a movie if she wanted to, and that resulted in her going and like making I Will Follow, her first feature that she did for like fifty thousand dollars, bought a digital camera, shot at her like her aunt's house or something or a house that she had, um, and took all that money she'd raised for like that she'd made when she was a publicist uh, to make her movie. So we don't have collateral. Hunter, do you have a career? I don't know. That's the big question. I don't, I don't think I do. <laughs> I don't think I do. I don't think I, you could After make an argument, Selma. a reasonable argument that <laughs> I would not be where I am today if Collateral was not a movie. If it wasn't Michael for Mann. silver-haired Tom Cruise. <laughs> I take back every negative thing I've ever said about Tom Cruise. <laughs> I always will. This is me becoming a true believer. I, I am pro Tom Cruise to the day I die. Thank you, Tom Cruise, for making this movie so that I, <laughs> I Hunter, could have have a career in film. Speaking of Tom Cruise being a nice guy, according to Jamie Foxx, one night during production, Tom Cruise bought everyone in and out, like for the entire cast and crew. Just bought them in and out. Quality guy. Quality guy. Quality yeah. guy. That that kind of stuff just doesn't happen that much. Like, you know, you you get like the occasional food truck rental, but like going in and out and being like, I'm buying out in and out tonight, boys. Anything you want. <laughs> Let's do it. That's just you don't have that happen anymore. It's it's a it's a rare thing. And yep. I also just read that in order to prepare for the car chase sequences, Jamie Foxx would race old cars at Willow Springs Raceway in the Mojave Desert, and Michael Mann would join him. This sounds like a joy to work on, but also <laughs> an an insurance nightmare. Yeah, that's what that's what it sounds like. It's an not an insurance, insurance nightmare. nightmare. Yeah, fully. He, this is back when people just did whatever they wanted. Without yeah. any any repercussions at all. All right, so let's move on to uh to story questions. The only one I have, only big one I have is: Does Max ever get his limo service? That's what I'm wondering. I, th- I think this goes hand in hand with: Does Max end up with Annie? That I agree with you on that. And I think if he does, I think he comes out of this a changed enough man to where he like gets his priorities straight. He figures yeah. out what he needs to figure out, and I think he does. I would like to believe this night changed him enough him. In, his, mm-hmm. in his core yeah, yeah i agree that probably yeah i think he does i think he does he has to come in, he has to be more companion i don't know if they're like in a relationship and get married i do think they're at least like close friends oh uh, no i think they're married for sure trauma binds people for life <laughs> he, yeah there's no way there's no way this happened and he's not like yo we're oh, a married. year later we're getting married for sure 
Yeah. Like 100%. She at this point she's like I drastically need to tone down my life to where the cartel doesn't want me dead. <laughs> you are a great way to do that. Well, let's and go on vacation. Save my life. It's like, she's like I got the money that we can go on that we can go out to an island for vacation cuz she she's she's rich after being a lawyer for so long. She can take uh uh Max the cab driver to um to to the Bahamas for for a few days, you know. Max's story would be the it would be a great like uh, daytime talk show, like do the rounds of the daytime talk show. He was like, this taxi driver had a hitman <laughs> in his car who tried to kill five people, and he yeah. survived. Next this, week the, on Oprah. On Oprah, this is definitely Max. an Oprah like, story. That's yeah. it. Oh, for sure. But then he, after that, he does the full circle of daytime talk yeah. shows, and then that <laughs> lands him a book deal, and then he makes the money off the book deal, and he opens up his limo service. <laughs> That's how this life plays out. I kind of love that. That's great. It's just the truth. It's just has the truth. Ba- ha- gets married and has babies. Annie, you know, just like living, living, the, good. living the dream, living the dream, having the limo service, probably invest in Uber very early on is what he probably does. Oh, for sure. He probably I like t- to think that Max is the, he's the founder of what Uber would become. You, you actually might be he's like, or he's yeah. he does a party van service. He, I think, I think he does the party van service. What he's he, like, what he hey, might do. We need to know who's getting in these cars. They're crazy people. <laughs> B, we need to know who's driving them around. I, here's We're going to have a rating system. <laughs> and that way, the next time someone's like, I'll pay you 600 bucks if you take me around your Uber and I get to kill five people. You can be like, mm, one well, star. It's also, uh, I'm good. Actually, now I really do have this theory that he actually started Uber. Like, and, and, and cause like he says like, Oh, like just take the car. No one knows. Like, who's driving what at most times and like with uber he knows the flaws <laughs> he knows the, the cracks in the system that need to be fixed he's been in on the ground level and yeah. now he can take it to the next step dude. yeah he is he is og uber he is who uber becomes. <laughs> that's the or we're watching the origin story of uber in front of our very eyes i find that kind of hysterical um if you told me that this was the the creation of uber if this was like the social network of uber i'd be like yeah you're right <laughs> All right, awards. We got the Beatrice Strait Award for actor, actress, and lead scenes that kills it. Who are you thinking? I don't know how you don't give it to Javier Bardem. He's he's the definition of being in a limited capacity, but absolutely crushing it and being memorable. That's fair. Yeah, I I, I, I think I, it's him personally. I like, yeah, I have Javier Bardem or, or Barry uh, Shabaka Henley uh, are my two people because um, uh, I think Barry has has the most warmth of the movie with the jazz and kind of talking about miles davis and it's very much like it's a good um to bring us up here too uh it's a good kind of like this is what max could become of like talking it like not going after his dreams not like his the character of of uh daniel doesn't become a musician really he just stays in the club and like kind of plays around basically um and you're kind of seeing kind of what max become if he doesn't go follow his dreams but I do agree, Javier. That scene, I think, is the Santa much... monologue about Santa <laughs> is the best, the best thing in this movie by far. The bit about Santa Claus and the kids in Mexico, yeah, when they're not good and they get put on the naughty list. That is such a good scene. I, it will stick with me. Yeah, I think that scene is top three scenes in the movie for sure. So that's why I'm. I'm totally fine with putting putting javier bardem there i just want to give i want to give henley a, a little bit of credit because i think i Henley's think he's good don't get me wrong yeah but bardem is uh 
yeah. nightmare fuel. Let's go Bardem. Javier Bardem for Beatrice Strait. Totally, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm glad I won you over. Okay. <laughs> There's an old Mexican tale <clears throat> that tells of how Santa Claus got so very busy looking out for the good children that he had to hire some help to look out for the bad children. So he hired Pedro. And Santa Claus gave him a list with all the names of all the bad children. And Pedro would come every night to check them out. And the people, the little kids that were misbehaving, that were not saying their prayers, Pedro would leave a little toy donkey on their windows, a little burro. And he would come back. And if the children were still misbehaving, Pedro would take them away and nobody would ever see them again. Now, if I am being Santa Claus and you are Pedro, how do you think jolly old Santa Claus would feel if one day Pedro came into his office and said, I lost the list? How fucking furious do you think he would get? So the Annie Potts X Factor Award, supporting actor, actress is the most memorable. I mean, are you going to make the argument that Jamie Foxx is a supporting actor? I'm not. No, 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 no. I, I think he's the lead because I said, I, th I think he was only put in supporting actor category simply because Ray came out and we're like, no, we don't want to put him up. Like, we can't pick one. We don't want to pick one there. Let's put him in separate categories. So I think he is actually lead. So I'm not going to put him here. I, I think, I think Ruffalo makes a good case here. I think it's Ruffalo or Jada. That's what I think. I, I think purely for that scene in the cab with, with in the Fox, beginning. Yeah. Like, I, Ebert brought up a good point. He's like, you can release that as a short film by itself and you would love both of them in it that's a fair point point. and i think ruffalo ruffalo if, if ruffalo had a few more like he he's good and but he's kind of playing like like the cop character um but like there's not a lot of like character moments for ruffalo like no. he's 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 just he's what's adding tension to this to the story is he's the he's the pursuer of these people um but i think acting wise i think jada he was probably a good example to kind of sway it towards Jada. Um, is that when I think of like Jada Pinkett Smith as an actress, Collateral is up there as one of the top probably two movies I think of as her as an actress. Collateral is not what I think of with Mark Ruffalo. Oh no, not at all. It's a so surprising I, thing that I didn't realize Mark it's Ruffalo. Like, was oh, in. Ruffalo's in it. Um, but I think Jada really like showcases how good she is in this film, specifically that opening scene. The opening scene. I'm going to let you take Jada since you let me have okay. Javier. So Jada for any pots. I think I'm going to lose. I think the case sucks. My exhibits aren't in order. I'm not prepared enough. People are going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing and I've been running some charade all these years. I represent the Department of Justice and my opening statement is going to fall flat at the most important point and the jury's going to laugh at me. And then I cry. I don't throw up. A lot of people throw up. I have a strong stomach. And then I pull myself together. I rewrite my opening statement, work my exhibits, and that's what I do for the rest of the night. That's my routine. In the morning it starts, and I'm fine. Here's the big debate. The Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, whoever, I feel like this is this is a three this is a, a three way thing here. This is a, this is, a, this is the, I completely agree. That's exactly what I put down. And I don't know because it's, it's it's between Fox, Cruise, and Man. Yeah. And I don't know 
which one edges out the other one i I feel like they're pretty like if you take there it's really just kind of the perfect ingredients of like all three of them it's like i'm tempted to say man simply because without him this movie is not made the way it was because when you think of all the directors that were attached to it because you said a bunch of different names i've also heard like scorsese maybe i've heard spielberg there's a lot of people out there and I don't know if anyone can succeed in telling this story the way it was told, like Michael Mann. I don't think the characters that were brought to life would have been brought to life to the degree and in the mm-hmm. the care and the capacity that they're brought to life by like Cruz and Fox if it wasn't Michael Mann pulling the strings. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. Initially, and I I agree with you in the fact of you kind of have to pay homage back to the puppet master yeah when all the puppets are batting a thousand yeah yeah Yeah. exactly when they're all working like you kind of have to just be like maybe the puppet master is the real star of the show here you know and i I I agree agree. with you i i think it's a three-way it's it's a three-way tie but if Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to make the choice it's man and i won't say by default but kind of by default but also just because it's deserved yeah I think I think man is just like he's ma- he's of course made better films for sure, but I just think this is not the same movie. This does not have the same effect. Also, I don't think any other director is gonna make that uh, decision to shoot this all digital like he does, and I think that's a big key to, to how this movie looks and feels is that digital look, and no one else would have had the nerve to kind of be the first person to really do it. I feel you gotta like. give it to someone that just goes in there and is like, I don't care what everyone thinks. I'm doing it my way. <laughs> yeah. And I in my heart, I know it will work. Yeah. And and like that level of crazy <laughs> while while it is alarming is also what it takes sometimes to make a, a masterpiece of a movie. I'm not up for this. Okay, hey, hey, hey. You're stressed. Yes, I am. You're stressed. I understand that. You just keep breathing and stay calm. Are you breathing? Shit. Are you breathing? Yes. Okay, good. Okay, look, here's the deal. And you were gonna drive me around tonight and never be the wiser, but El Gordo got in front of a window, did his high dive. We're into plan B. Still breathing? Now we gotta make the best of it. Improvise, adapt to the environment, Darwin, shit happens, I Ching, whatever, man. We gotta roll with it. I Ching, what are you talking about? a man out of a window. I didn't throw him. He fell. But what did he do to you? What? What did he do to you? Nothing. I only met him that night. You just met him once and you kill him like that? What, I should only kill people after I get to know them? All right, final questions. I don't know if I put this in the original thing, but if Michael Mann, Mike, and we can pause a little bit here, but if Michael Mann made this movie in the 1980s, who would be, who would be in it? Okay, for Max, I had... Robin Williams. Okay. Uh, just because I feel like he could play a really good every guy taxi driver. I agree. Who could who could get pushed over his edge? Yeah. Uh, also, early Denzel Washington mm-hmm. would have crushed this role. Absolutely crushed this role. Like crim- a little bit pre Crimson Tide, around that point, that dude would have crushed this. Um, for Vincent, I had Michael Douglas. Okay. That's a good pick. Michael Douglas, I feel like he could have gotten there. He could have gotten there. He yeah. could have been that level of erotic, like, you don't know what he's about to do, but he's a violent man. Yeah. 
Uh, also, Willem Dafoe, and I don't know if it would have timed out well with Willem Dafoe in the '80s, but he could. It I feel like it could have. No, yeah, he's coming off of To Live and Die in L.A. by Freakin' in like the mid '80s. I, I think that I think that works. He doesn't I, have the star power yeah. at that point that Michael Douglas has, but I feel like he could have done the same level of like performance. Yeah. Um, for Annie, I had Oprah for sure. I actually thought about Oprah too for Annie as well. I thought yeah. she'd have been great because she she's just like calming but charming, but also like on her stuff at all points in time. Like I thought Oprah would have been good for fanning. I did put Val Kilmer and it's hard for me not to see Val Kilmer now. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, like when I see that role, I'm like, Oh yeah, Val Kilmer would have crushed that. He think it's so good. Uh, and then for, uh, Tarina or Tarina for, um, Javier Bardem's character. I had Edward James almost. Yeah. That's a good pick. Yeah. I, I thought that he could have done the same level of like intimidation, but also, playful at the same time but also still kind of terrifying because you know this man has like killed a lot of people yeah yeah um i did i did uh alternate universe cast now i did i oh, got wow. into it with a cast dude i really did i don't know you okay. want to go through your 80s stuff well, and yeah, let, me, yeah, let, me go my, let me go through my 80s All one right. so i had for annie i thought like jennifer beals from flash dance i thought would be really good uh mm, in that role mm-hmm. for um for who do you want first, Max or Vincent? Give me Max first. I get Max first. You give me Max first. Uh, Eddie Murphy. I actually had that on my list, and then I took him off to put Denzel. Yeah, Eddie Murphy's because he would have been great. Yeah, I, I think I think like because I think he's great in like say Beverly Hills Cop in Forty Eight Hours. Everyone kind of thinks of him as a, as a comedian in a way, but like when you look at Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop the first one and the second one too. Like the first one's like a dark movie. Like it's like they're all like revenge movies about his friends being killed or shot. And like mm. he's like kind of on the war path, but he's just also funny. So I think I think Murphy would have been really good in that role um, in the mid '80s with that. a director like this. Um, for my Vincent Harrison Ford, okay, like Mosquito Coast Harrison Ford, Mosquito Coast, or, or like even yeah, it's, I, I feel like it's a real again. It's a, I'm thinking like against type. Who's the big star in the '80s? You keeping him with the white hair and everything? Are you changing up the look? Oh, I'd, you'd probably do white hair, or or like Harrison Ford would have been really good against type in this. Yeah, I think he would have been. He would have. That would have been a good call. Yeah, that yeah, would have been it. a good call. I could see it. Um. Okay. So that, those those are my picks. Okay. What what's your modern day one? Uh, my modern day picks. I had Max as Michael Pena. Okay. I feel uh, like he would have been good, great. That's a good. That's a that's a really great he pick for Michael Pena. Really yeah. been great in that. Um. For Vincent, I had Andrew Garfield actually. Ooh, I, I think Andrew Garfield can go there. I mean, he yeah, doesn't do it much. He's doing it more lately, but he can go there. He can get weird. Yeah, yeah. For Annie, it's hard not to go Tessa Thompson just because she's. That's, that's a great pick. That's everything. a great pick. Yeah, she's perfect in everything. Um, yeah. For Fanning, I had uh, Stephen Yin. That's a good pick. Fanning. Yeah, these are all good picks. I'm telling you, man. I've been. I've been. <laughs> I got into it. I got into it, and then. Uh, for Tarina, for Tarina, I kind of had, I feel like there's not a good clear answer for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like either Vincent Castle, okay. Vincent Castle from like maybe mid 2010s. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who yeah. do you, who do you, who, what's your pitch? Pedro Pascal. Ooh, Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's the answer. <laughs> That's the answer. I can't believe I missed it. Yep. That's the answer. It's the obvious answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's the obvious answer. I do think Fanning. You could get. You could be like, if you want to take the easy way out and not do Stephen Yen, you could do Shia LaBeouf, and he would crush it. Yeah. 
as Fanning, just because he has that look already. You don't have to do anything to him. You don't have to touch him at all. He's just he's done. Are you? It's just Shia LaBeouf playing himself. Yeah, it's I would say, yeah yeah Ruffalo Ruffalo just has a. I don't know if Shia LaBeouf has some of the same qualities Ruffalo does. Ruffalo has like a some re- so for some reason Ruffalo always feels like a caring individual in a lot of his roles. It's like his eyes. It's yeah, something he about looks like him. A caring person. Something about even in like darker roles, like it's like there's something about him where he's always playing like if it's Zodiac, if it's Spotlight, like he could be in some dark stuff and like dark kind of things he's dealing with and like on the investigative path, but like there's something about him like this is a dude you could just like talk to and tell tell your secrets to. It's just like what it feels like. He'd be a good bro. Like, he would just he'd be just be a good bro yeah. to have around on your group of guys. Good hang. You like doing guy stuff with your friends. Good hang. And, and Ruffalo. My dad loves Mark Ruffalo. Just loves Mark Ruffalo. It's, What's it's, your dad's favorite Mark Ruffalo role? Oh and gosh. Why is it Collateral. I'm just kidding. What is I it? I need to tell him to watch Collateral just because he's in it. Um, dad really likes. Um, I know he likes you can count on me a lot because they also like Laura Linney as well. And Laura, that's Laura Linney and, and, and uh, Mark Ruffalo. Um, they like spotlight. I need to tell them to watch collateral cause it's on HBO max. Mom, if you're listening, tell dad to watch collateral. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so any, any more people, any, <laughs> any more people, any more people you have? No, honestly, I just went through my, uh, okay, cool. I literally got my iPad out earlier and was like, I'm going to write all these ideas down as I was watching this movie. And I was just right. Great list. My iPad. Yeah. I, I think, I think both have some great lists. I think, I think both are good are would be fun. Like honestly though, if you remade this movie right now and you put that cast in it, I would watch, I would watch that movie. I agree with you. Yeah. I think, I think I that's, watch it immediately. that's okay, a stellar cast. Here's the thing, if you made that movie now, who directs it? Good question. Um, Is it Peter Berg? I feel like that's the safe answer though. Yeah. It's that's like the safe. The next thing you know, we got Mark Wahlberg as Vincent. Um, kidding. Um, <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, my my first thought. I don't know if they would do it. But like the Safety Brothers is some is some people I think of. Mm. It might be too They might get me. They might make it too chaotic for me um, with this movie. So I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think someone in that realm that like is really good like the like the handheld kind of just going in and shooting gorilla gorilla not gorilla style but just like ha- having this kind of improv feel to it and so this the safties are definitely someone and, and like berg too i think berg could could capture that T- david gordon green not a terrible choice either honestly i know he's doing horror stuff but some reason if about- david gordon green made that movie I would find any way on this earth to work on that movie. If that was, if he was making this movie, because I that would be such a good. Because I just think he's a guy. Because again, he can just do kind of whatever it feels like genre wise. It's like you, that means you can kind of place him in whatever you want to. And and for some reason, he would be an interesting pick for that. Let's finish off with our last two questions very briefly. Uh, so does this film fit with any other genres? Um, not really. I mean, it's a thriller the basic thing of it there it doesn't really go into a subgenre it's a thriller uh one one it's one crazy night i think it's purely kind of this this genre it nails every single thing you said yeah early on like it nails every single every single trope and commonality in this in the 24 hour movie mm-hmm. space it nails every single yeah. one of them like on the head. Yeah, even even kind of the ticking time bomb thing is like he has to kill them all before the case the next day. That's kind of the plan, and so like that's always and before he dies. Like he has to get yeah. out of here before he dies, and like yeah. you have a very real expectation that he might end up getting killed at the end of this night. Yeah, 
So yeah, so, so there's that. So yeah, I, I think it's purely this type of movie. A hit. A, there's also the Hitman story. It's kind of the Hitman story with Cruz character. Um, so there's that. Uh, and so as you said, like, how does film fit with the 24 hour movie? It has all the things we kind of talked about. It has the kind of one crazy night. Everything's kind of thrown at these characters in this one kind of short period. Um, there is the ticking time bomb of the ca- possibly the case the next day, possibly the, the, the Max trying to get out and survive. Um, and you have these, again, these character pieces that come out, these character, character development that comes out that isn't usually present in a film, like just a basic thriller. Um, so you have that kind of like the change of a character through it with, uh, with or throughout a day. Um, so that's all, all very present. Um, so yeah, I think that's it on collateral hunter. I think we covered the hell out of collateral. I'm not going to lie. I think we covered that movie front to back. I think we did. It's a great movie. I, people need to see it. Like if you haven't seen it before, if you've never dove into Michael Mann, I agree. What do you what do you suggest they start with Manhunter? Ooh. Like what do you well if you're gonna go okay you gotta watch five Michael Mann movies because you love this episode which movies do you watch? Oh man you just you just put me on the spot right there. Um, the people need to know. Give them what they want, Brandon. Uh, I I would mm, mm, I would start with Thief. I would start right at the beginning with Thief. If I were them. Okay, so you go Thief. What do you go after Thief? Oh gosh. <laughs> I want top five, Brandon. Uh, I need you to, I need you to well, be like, I, this is the five movies you need to watch I, if you want I, to understand Michael I, Mann. I haven't seen The Insider, and I feel like The Insider would be... The in Insider's the, great. In the five. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be in the five. Uh, I would say Thief. I'm not... I'll, I'll say the top five to, to probably say. I would say Thief. I would say Heat. Collateral. I would say Manhunter. And purely... Yeah, one more. And purely for my my good buddy logan i'm gonna say miami vice that's spicy yeah i'm gonna say miami vice you're gonna skip lice the mohicans yeah you can come back back to that later that's like oh he made that movie that's that's kind of because it's very cool it's very different than the rest of his stuff you're gonna skip ali i haven't seen ali actually that's one i haven't seen we're now we're just revealing stuff about myself on the show which i'm not a fan of Cause like I feel like Insider's gonna be up there. Insider's a big one that's like has I've just somehow missed a lot and haven't seen, and it's one that I feel like everyone tells me is it's like a great movie. It's man. amazing. Yeah, you need to watch. It's so. a great Pacino role. It's a great Russell Crowe role. Mm-hmm. It makes you appreciate Russell Crowe more. I think. Sorry, I revealed your deep dark secret that you've never seen. Yeah, I haven't seen the Insider. I might cut but, this. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna cut this. Uh, yeah, episode's I, over. I have control the edit. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so, so next episode, we are talking about another, another movie that contains a t- performance with Tom Cruise and that's Paul Thomas Anderson's 1999 film Magnolia. Um, uh, it will easily be the most epic film in terms of the scope that we are covering this month. And it will also be the final episode of this month's series on 24 hour movies. It'll probably be released a few days earlier simply because of Thanksgiving. So be prepared for that. Maybe Tuesday. Maybe Wednesday, but preferably Tuesday. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and be sure to check out Magnolia on Netflix before because it's a it's a long watch and you need to be prepared because we're going we're going to uh, doing a deep dive into it. Um, but yeah, that's all we have for this episode. If you're a fan of the show or a new new listener, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast so you stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And uh, if you haven't already, make sure you rise to read on whatever platform you listen to the show on. This kind of helps us uh, gain 
a little bit of traction. People see it more if you're if you're posting about it, if you're commenting on it. Five star reviews are really phenomenal for us. It helps us go up the rankings on on Apple Podcasts. So be sure to do that. Uh, and finally, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that jazz. Hunter, thank you so much for joining me again. It's my pleasure, sir. Always have a great time, no matter what we talk about. For sure. I'm always happy to have you on here. Hopefully, we'll have you back soon. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Boil it this time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.